LaBelle in downtown London, mostly cloudy skies, 11 degrees. Western Center for Research and Education on Violence Against Women and Children is heading up a new program aimed at recognizing and responding to domestic violence in the workplace. Officials with the center that operates within the Faculty of Education announced details of the program this morning. The federal government is providing a little more than $2 million to fund the program. The training is in response to the Government of Canada's amendments to the Canada Labour Code Bill C-65, which recognizes domestic violence as a workplace hazard and requires employer and employee training concerning domestic violence. The center's director, Barb McQuarrie, explains what the basic training will look like and who it will involve. We think that absolutely everybody, um, the frontline workers um, who have no supervisory responsibilities, they need to know the basics of recognizing, having a conversation, making a, a referral, whether that's in the workplace or someplace in the community. So that'll be a one-hour session. Um, it'll be available online. Um, there'll be a, a, a template that you can take and deliver in person if that's what, the way you prefer to do your training. There will also be a medium level and full day training for employees in human resources and leadership positions. London police are appealing to the public for information as they investigate a historical sexual abuse case. Officers say they arrested and charged 52-year-old Chad Ian Tucker of London on Sunday with three counts including sexual assault. Police say the charges relate to alleged incidents involving a young boy that reportedly took place between 1990 and 1997. During the time of the reported incidents, officers say Tucker was a leader with Scouts Canada and a driver for a paratransit service. He also was a first aid and CPR instructor for a portion of time. Investigators say they're concerned there could be more victims who have not yet come forward to police. They're urging anyone with information about the case to contact them or Crime Stoppers. London police have laid charges after a suspect got into a running vehicle and struck its owner as he drove off. According to police, the victim left his vehicle running while he went to get a ticket from a pay parking lot on Richmond Street near King Street just before 10 on the morning of April 20th. Police say the suspect got into the man's vehicle. The victim tried to stop the suspect but was hit by his own vehicle and suffered non-life-threatening injuries. Police say a 23-year-old man of no fixed address faces a handful of charges. The Corporate Services Committee is recommending shifting some of the tax away from homeowners. That would mean the average residential homeowner would see a 1.2% increase. Morgan, uh, Councillor Josh Morgan says exactly how much more a homeowner will pay this year depends on how much their property value is increasing. He tells 980 CFPL they can adjust tax ratios to create some relief for homeowners. For a residential homeowner who would have been expecting to face on average a 2.7% increase, they are actually going to face a 1.2% increase because essentially two things. One, we're using our tax ratios to, to adjust things. Two, the property uh, values of, of residential homes are not increasing as fast as the property values of, say, commercial entities. Taxes are distributed differently among residential, farm, commercial, and industrial classes. Morgan says the council two terms ago had focused a majority of the tax relief on industrial and commercial properties, and he's been working to shift some of those savings onto homeowners. You're listening to 980 CFPL. Here's a bit of a strange question off the start, and you don't even need to answer it unless you've actually done it. But I'm just asking, not even for a friend, I'm asking for me. Have you ever traveled somewhere and only put what you needed into a backpack. Now, I don't mean you actually went backpacking across Europe because that's a thing. But 
No, you actually traveled, but instead of having, say, a home hotel that you stay at that becomes your home for however long you're there, you just leave it wide open. So you buy your plane ticket. Everything that you're going to need for five or six days goes into a backpack. Has anybody ever pulled that off with a family of four? Because I'm wondering if we could do it. We usually say you get a carry-on, and that's it. One carry-on, no big bag, pack it up, be ready to go. You think you could do it? It would be summer, but we'd be going to a place maybe out west where the weather was a little volatile, where it can snow at least once a month. I don't know. I don't know if that. If you've ever done that. Can you drop me a quick note saying yes or no? Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. You can even call and talk to Matt, 519-643-2222. I just want to know if it, it worked out because it sounds good in my head. However, I'm not overly convinced that that's what it's going to be. We've got a lot of rallies going on. We've got a lot of protests going on. We had one yesterday outside of Queen's Park about the health care system. Now everybody is being asked if they would like to take an hour off work today. And all of this looks at the Ontario government. And I'm not ready to say they're doing things wrong because I'm not convinced they are. All of the cuts, yes, cuts hurt. Cuts always hurt. But I'm not convinced they're doing anything wrong in all of this. Are you? Teachers are upset. Healthcare professionals are upset. Now municipalities are going to be upset because they've finished their budgets and it's, oh yeah, you got it. So it's not being handled the best. I will admit that. None of this is being handled all that well. This is like somebody coming in and saying, I'm the boss. This is what's happening. Do it now. That's, that's tough to deal with. But I'm not convinced that it's completely a wrong attitude because we do have a lot of red tape. We have a lot of bureaucracy. And in the end, if we all of a sudden can lean things out, maybe things will work better. If you have to lean things out, there is damage and there can be things like job loss or job change. And no one's looking for that. Nobody wants that. We live in a world where everyone wants to feel happy all the time. And social media feeds make you feel as though you should be happy all the time. That's not the case. You're going to feel nervous. You're going to feel anxious. You're going to feel angry. All those things. I mean, we've been living in candy canes and lollipops too much. And not everybody has. And I realize that. And I don't want to paint a big, broad brush. But we've had a lot of things going well, believe it or not, other than things going really, really bad. And in this case, I'm not willing to say that the Ontario government is doing anything wrong. But we've got a lot of people who are apprehensive. We've got a lot of people who are downright upset. And now, to see that we may see budgets change... Other things cut. I'd, this is not an easy time. But if you go back, I'm going to equate this to the Toronto Maple Leafs, okay? And I hope it makes sense. But I want you to think of when Brendan Shanahan, a former London Knight, a guy who lived with the Chaffees here in London, now has gone on to take the reins of the Toronto Maple Leafs. When he took his spot as president of the Toronto Maple Leafs, he basically said, look, we're going scorched earth. And that was a term that was used at his news conference. And then he brought in a head coach by the name of Mike Babcock, who has a lot of great experience, is very good at what he does. 
And what was Mike Babcock's word? It wasn't scorched earth. It was pain. We are going to experience pain. And that's just what it is. But in both cases, both individuals had an end plan. And as much as the Toronto Maple Leafs are not vying for the Stanley Cup right now, they could be. And if they had won one game, Game 7, or another game, Game 6 against Boston, we would be looking at the fact that, are we planning this parade yet? Can we, you better block off the streets, because things are paved for the Toronto Maple Leafs to win the Stanley Cup. That's what would be talked about right now. Both of these individuals had an end goal, and I'm hoping... That's what the Doug Ford government has, is that end goal. Now, they don't really come out and tell us what that is. The Toronto Maple Leafs didn't come out and tell everyone what that was. But the end goal, after a couple of years, started to look more and more within reach. And as much as things didn't go well this year, you would have to say, if you were going to stand on one side of the fence or the other, are the Toronto Maple Leafs in a position to win a Stanley Cup soon? Yeah, yeah. After the scorched earth, so they came in, cleaned house, brought in new people, did things a new way. New head coach said pain. There was some pain. There wasn't that much. But they made some changes. Could we believe that the Ontario government is maybe on a similar path? That, yeah, here comes the pain, here comes the scorched earth. But in the end, the province is going to be better off. I'll ask you this question. Could the province be worse off? You know, living in Ontario... Typically is great. There are portions of our population that need more help. We need more affordable housing. We need to look after people who are disadvantaged. That's not new. That's not a new thing. That's been happening for decades. So that has nothing to do with now. We have always had a disadvantaged portion of our population. We have always had a need for more affordable housing. Always. And let's face it, with the price of getting in on the ground floor of housing these days, wow. I mean... We need, we need plans that way. But to think that we could be in worse financial shape? No, I don't think so. It was pretty bad when the Ford government got in. So are we willing to wait? Or are you somebody who is now looking and saying, hey, it's May Day, and I'm taking that hour off. I'm going to show you I'm not happy. I'm wondering, what side of the fence do you find yourself on? Are you okay with... What I really think is a plan a lot like the Toronto Maple Leafs, we're not going to win the Stanley Cup in this province, but we could still become a championship province. We're not there now. A long way from it. What side are you on? 519-643-2222. I'm curious. 519-643-2222. Also coming up on the show in less than a half hour from now, we're going to look at refugees in Canada and how we're handling refugees. And we're going to get to know a couple of terms that I think we aren't learning enough about. One is asylum and the way that asylum is dealt with in this country. And another thing deals with a plan that the federal government seems to have with refugees. And it's one that wasn't really broadcast. It's not one that you saw the prime minister have a news conference about. That's not what this was at all. This is more, well, here's what we're going to do. And I'm wondering why they're doing that. And what it would do is make it difficult for certain refugees to gain status in this country, which may mean more people try and run across the border from the U.S. to Canada. Well, why would that be a good thing? It wouldn't. It would not be a good thing. 
But there seems to be a little something in the legislation. So we're going to have Dr. Shauna Labman come on and help to explain all of that for us. We are also going to get some answers to some questions that were asked very later on in the show yesterday on London Live. And they dealt with recycling. We were talking about the entire recycling program, but then it moved into landfill. So do we actually accept other garbage from other municipalities, other places? We're going to ask that question. How about incineration? Is that a thing? We are also going to look at the lifespan of our landfill and some of the odors in South End of London. We're going to do that with Jay Stanford. He'll join us. He's the Director of Environmental Programs and Solid Waste. He's up in less than an hour. And something else that we're going to do today that'll sound strange. We're going to find out what the library does. Now, wait a minute. Stay with me here. We're going to find out what the library does because the London Library has been adding all kinds of things to its repertoire. And I don't think we've stopped to realize how powerful a library card has become. You know what a library card has always allowed you to do. You go to a place filled with books and you show your card, which was free to get. And then for free, you get to take one of those books out for a period of time, provided you bring it back on time. That's it. That's the library. Well, now things have kind of morphed. Do you realize you can rent studio space? So like for a band? Yeah. London Public Library does that. So given that it started with borrowing books and now we're talking about studio space. Yeah, we have to fill in some blanks there. So we'll do that later on on London Live. But I am curious if you're just joining us. Are we seeing an Ontario government that is acting like the Toronto Maple Leafs did when Brendan Shanahan and Mike Babcock took over their respective roles? Scorched earth and pain. Those were the words used by Shanahan and Babcock. And you could say, is that what the Doug Ford government is doing now? Those are not good political words. You're not going to see Doug Ford come out and say, we're going to make this province scorched earth. We are going to bring pain to Ontarians. No one's going to say that. Those are not political words. You can get away with those in the sports world. You can't get away with those in politics. But when you look at cuts, when you look at budget changes, when you look at the way that they're being brought about, are you okay with this? Or are you someone who's saying, you know, this hour off today in protest? Yeah, I'm on board with that. I'm not pleased with the way this province is heading. 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. Back with your reaction on that next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We've got protests that are going on yesterday at Queen's Park today. Some May Day type protests. People unhappy with the way that the Ontario government is going. I'm not ready to jump into one of those protests. Because I want to see where this is going. And it reminds me of the Shanna plan. Scorched earth. You can't say that in the political arena. But maybe that's what we are seeing some of. Is that a good thing? you got to look at the collective. That's what you have to do. 519-643-2222. Which side are you on? Is this, is this a good direction that you're, you're liking? Or is this something that now that we see, hey, municipalities, I know your budgets are set, but here comes some more cuts. Is that making you a little nervous? 519-643-2222. Jim, how is it making you feel? Well, I'll tell you, I'm on the side of facts. The facts are we are the highest debt of any sub-sovereign nation. Mm-hmm. 
$12 billion deficit. <clears throat> so something has to be done. And I'll give you this analogy. If I had gangrene in my foot, and the doctor said, if we don't do something about this, you're going to die from it over the next two or three years. We're going to have to amputate. You'd say, amputate my foot. You don't want and to lose your foot, but if it means living... There's got to be some pain. And, and I challenge everybody that I come up to, what would you do then? And most of the people that are protesting are government employees. As for the teachers, and I think your wife's a teacher, right? No, no. Oh, okay, I, don't, I thought she was. My, my apologies. Oh, that's okay. But I love teachers. The, yeah, but as for the teachers, they have complained about every government for the last 50 years. Even the Liberals, even the NDP, and then the Conservatives. So, like, <clears throat> cuts have to be made. And, and we have to look at it intelligently. Where, where, can we, where can we save money? You know, you look at the two, the two boards, the public and the Catholic. We only need one board. There's money there. You know, and, and so, like, something has to be done. And if we don't do it, the deficit's going to increase. And that $12 billion can hire a lot of people. It can buy a lot of MRIs, et cetera, et cetera. So I challenge the people that call in today, where would you cut? What would you do? Something has to be done. Otherwise, this province is in bad shape. Jim, love the analogy. Thank you so much for the call. You're welcome. Take care. See, it makes perfect sense. And that's, that's where we are. You don't want to think that we're there, but we are. And Jim says, facts. And yeah, that $12 billion deficit is a thing. And that was an inherited deficit. Now, that's built not just on don't go, that's built by the liberals. A lot of it was. It's built by every government that's ever governed. We haven't been deficit-free in a little while, so don't don't go poking fingers. Look for solutions, and that's that's you know that's my that's my challenge as well. It's Jim's challenge. What would be what would be a solution to all of this? Well, if you have gangrene in your foot, sometimes you have to make tough choices. Uh, a couple of emails to catch up on. Al says I expected budget cuts. To be honest, I think Ford was voted in with a mandate to make cuts. Ontario needs it. But there is a difference between well-planned and communicated cuts and utter chaotic uncertainty. I love that line. Ford has governed with the latter. That's the problem. I'm still waiting for that forensic line-by-line audit with that four cents for every dollar of savings being found. Yeah, I mean, okay, here, here's, here's the other side of that coin. The last government that came in was the Kathleen Wynne government taking over from the Dalton McGinty government, but it was basically the same government. And what did we hear almost immediately from the Kathleen Wynne government? You know what we're going to do? We are going to govern with transparency. We are going to show you. And what did they do? They did not govern with transparency. That was a buzzword. You know, it seemed to be a buzzword among liberal governments. A lot of them said it, including the one that's governing federally. We're going to be transparent. It's going to be great. Democracy. We'll all govern together. Sunny ways. We'll have barbecues. No. Governments cannot do that. That's not what they're elected to do. Because not enough people are going to take the time to understand what it is that's going on. We don't have enough time in our lives. That's why you hire government officials. Otherwise, we would have nightly meetings in our neighborhoods and in our towns, and in our cities, and across our country, in order to figure out what to do next. And at the end of it, we would all take a vote. All right, who's in favor of this? And you'd have to raise your hand, and someone would be the counter. 
and they would count every one of the hands, and the majority would go through. We don't want to do that. I don't want to go sit through those meetings. Meetings tend to not be fun. So what do we do? We elect people to go to our meetings to make our decisions. Could there be more communication? Absolutely. But sometimes when you say a lot, you give people a lot to be upset about. So maybe being more tight-lipped and just getting some things done, that's why we've got to take a wait and see on this in this province, don't we? 519-643-2222. Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. Ron says, I think by the time the Fords are done with the current government in four years, it will make the Harris cuts look tame. Possibly. I mean, it'll all boil down to, are we still getting the same kind of service? Are we still getting what we need? Are we still living in a place that we want to live in? Are we still doing that? Because that'll be the ultimate question. You know, you can make places nasty enough that people don't want to live there anymore. Or people can't afford to live there anymore. 519-643-2222. John, how do you feel about this? Hey, John. Hello? Hey, how are you? Good, yourself? Good. Listen, real quick, my wife's a teacher. Okay. And and she has this incredibly rare thing in this day and age called common sense. And she will be the first one to tell you that with the, the union is not worried about the best interests of the children in this day and age. It's the teachers and the union's power and their authority with, with whatever government happens to be in power. Now, with respect to Ford... Let's be honest. Who in their right mind would want to inherit the political mess that he inherited? I wouldn't. Exactly. And, and, it, you know, and the previous caller was right. He could be, you know, in what you read, he could be a little more clear, a little more open. But the fact of the matter is we haven't had a balanced budget and been deficit-free since the Harris era. And we, we all know how the teachers' unions and government unions think of Mike Harris. Now, regardless of that fact, it was, those were good economic times for Ontario. And we cannot continue to spend this way. We can't leave this message, this mess to our children. It's a terrible legacy. And everybody wants something, but no one's willing to give something up. fact of the matter is, we all have to do it. And that's life. People are very selfish in this day and age. We, have, we forget how fortunate we, we are to be in this country and to be in this province. But we need to step it up and be, make it a hell of a lot better for all involved. That's a fact. And um, with regards to what's happening in Ottawa, you know, that's one social experiment I think most Canadians realize was just an abject failure. Let's not do it again. <laughs> and, um, you know, as I said, Ford is not the easiest guy to like. But I- I'll tell you one thing, he does respect taxpayers and their dollar. And the only people you see marching around and griping are the unions. That's it. And like I said, my wife's a teacher, and she even says, you know, she says, these people don't represent me. Yeah, And she goes, I, I find it, what frustrates her, and, and I'd like to know what other people think about this, she's, they, a portion of her dues that are paid in the union, they use for commercials and advertising and what have you. And she says, why should they take that portion of mine if I don't, I, if I don't agree with the political party that they want me to affiliate with? That's yeah. not right. Yeah, and that's, I would, that's a great I would, question. I would love to see government, the provincial government, make us come up with a law where it's Companies that have unions, like OPSA, whatever it is, any of the big unions here, okay, that that percentage that's used for commercials and advertising when there are elections, you have a choice to say, I want to go to this party or that party, not the union, because it is your money. 
That's something to think about. Well said. John, great call. Great stuff. 519-643-2222. Al, we've got about 60 seconds, but they're all yours. Uh, hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. I just want to elaborate a little bit on the text that you had read. So, I mean, certainly, uh, Doug Ford has a mandate here to make cuts. Um, and I think everyone in their right mind knew that cuts were required. What I meant by, you know, austerity versus uncertainty, when you're going to make cuts, you need to think about the unintended consequences. That doesn't mean you're not going to make the cuts or find excuses not to make the cuts. But you need to be honest and say, not not have a daily vote. That wasn't what I was alluding to. What I'm oh, saying okay. is, 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 you know, tell school boards, this is the budget you're going to work with in your next fiscal year. If that means you need to make staffing cuts, so be it. But they're in a position where they didn't even know what they were playing with. Austis, uh, you know, parents of autistic children, they didn't know if their kids were going to be on a waiting list or not. Were they going to get coverage? What kind of, you know, funding were they going to get? That kind of uncertainty is what's really screwing, you know, that can be approved on. So, yeah, absolutely, make cuts. Goodness knows we need them, um, but, but do it in a smart way. So doing something that we really need to do but in a stupid manner doesn't change the fact that it's still stupid. It needs to be done in the correct way. Al, thanks for the call. Thanks. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. If you still want to get in on this, we can continue the conversation. Got a break for news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Okay, to close out our discussion about the Ontario government, where they're headed, whether it is scorched earth and pain, communication has been raised, but things can't go up and up and up. And John made some really great points. Al made some really great points. Jim made some really great points. We can't have things going up and up and up. And maybe this this is directed at union members. And, you know, sorry if you have a strong union behind you. But the thing that's always bothered me about unions, and we've talked about this on the show before, I've got no issue with unions. You've got to have protection. I have no problem. But here's the attitude I don't like. So, let's sit down at this table. Let's figure out new contract. All right. So, uh, Union, what do you want? Uh, more. Uh, okay. Uh, so, more. More of what? I don't know. What do you got? More. We need more. We need a better deal than we had last time. And, correct me wrong, is that not an attitude that does exist? And you, you lose sight of what you're truly representing. And if you talk to teachers, and I, I think John made a really good point that maybe we have to start really differentiating because if you have a teacher and you talk to that teacher, very rarely will you find someone whose number one concern, I mean very rarely, very rarely are you going to find someone whose main concern is not the student. That's number one, number two, number three, four, and five. The student. They want to make sure that they're doing the best for the student. And when the education system makes that difficult, you see the strain on teachers' faces. And I think that needs to be made, you know, we we like to, at especially at contract times or strike times or work-to-rule times, and I firmly believe there's one coming. There is at least work to rule coming. Get ready for it. Extracurricular activities, don't look for those. I don't know when next year, but there's something like that coming. When it does, you can't look and say to the teachers, this is your fault. This is you, just you, you, you. Mm, I'd hold back on that a little bit. And that's a conversation we'll have in the future. 
Uh, got an email from Bill. So this will close out this particular conversation, but it's one that we'll definitely get back to. Bill says, I get concerned about protesters wanting to levy more taxes to pay for our failing health care system. We need to stop comparing ourselves with the United States and thinking of the word private as evil. Just like Americans think the word socialist is evil, let's compare to Europe, where there are better outcomes, better access to diagnostic equipment, and less cost. All the European systems include access to private options. No one complains. We have the only sole provider healthcare delivery system that prohibits private alternatives except for North Korea and Cuba. All we get, says Bill, is the second most expensive healthcare in the world, and Bill quotes the Fraser Institute for that, and the longest waiting times. Access to a waiting list is not healthcare. Young medical students have stopped going into orthopedics because there are no jobs. Lots of people waiting for the work, no place for a surgeon to do the work. There is a lot of misinformation and emotion, I get it, but let's compare to Switzerland, Germany, etc., not the United States, Bill. Bill, thank you for that. Let's leave it there. We're going to move to the topic of refugees next, and I think there's something that we need to look at, number one, because we always think, oh, we've got so many refugees coming into this country. What are we going to do? How are we going to help all of these people? We're taking on too much. When you actually look at the numbers, that's not the case. That's not true. Not even close. And the other thing that we've got to look at is something that the Trudeau government apparently has put into the government's omnibus budget bill. And that may change how refugees are dealt with. And there's two terms that we have to get our heads around. One is asylum. And one is resettlement. And we'll start with what those are and the difference between them and then get into that conversation next. We're going to be joined by Dr. Shauna Labman from the University of Manitoba. She's done a lot of research on this. She's next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. All right. We've had private refugee sponsorship in this country for 40 years now, and we have seen the resettlement in that time of 327,000 refugees. We've got so many amazing stories. If you want to look at it, everybody at one point made a journey, maybe way, way back in their generations, and it brought you somehow to here. Whether you moved with your family from the United States, whether you moved with your family from Lebanon, whether you moved with your family from Russia, it doesn't matter. At some point, you or other family members got here. So we've had 327,000 refugees resettled, and we need a refugee program. Immediately when you raise your hand and say, no, 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 what are are we doing? Why don't we just close the borders? Okay, uh, what's going to happen to our population then? Have you seen it? Have you seen the fact that Canadians typically are not having enough kids to even replace themselves? No, I wonder what the next generation is going to be like. Is it Generation Z? Is that what we're up to? I don't know. Something like that. How many kids are they going to have? A lot of them have a very pessimistic view entering their early 20s about whether or not they should have children. Because they don't like where the world's headed. And they read a lot of literature and watch a lot of stuff that says, yeah, this this whole thing about the temperature rising, that's going to make a mess. Uh, we've got a lot of things that have been just, hey, woo, for too long, and it's going to make a mess. And I don't want to bring other people along for the ride when things get really messy. 
That's an attitude that a lot of early 20-somethings have. We need a refugee program. Otherwise, we're going to run out of people in this country. So when you hear that there is a, a bit of a change coming to a refugee program, and then when you hear it described as troubling or problematic, maybe it's time to look at what is happening. And this goes back to an announcement, kind of, last week, maybe a, a line that wasn't so much announced as it was made available in the omnibus budget bill from the federal government. And it deals with something that could change how easily refugees can get into this country. So let's learn more about it and more about words like asylum and resettlement. Joining us right now is Dr. Shauna Labman, who is from the University of Manitoba. She's an assistant professor in the Faculty of Law. Dr. Labman, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. Trying to get my head around whether Canada is doing a good job with refugees or whether we could be doing a better job with refugees. And maybe where we need to start is the difference between resettlement and asylum, because those are two very different things when you are talking about refugees. But I don't think that's something that, that we talk about on a regular basis. What is the difference between resettlement and asylum? That's a great question, Mike. So the first point to make is that a refugee is a refugee, whether they come by way of claiming asylum to Canada or they come by way of resettlement. Basically, what we're doing is we're bringing refugees to protection in Canada through both programs. So there are essentially two different routes to get to Canada. And the reason we do this is resettlement developed in Canada because not that many refugees actually can get to Canada by way of claiming asylum. So asylum means that a refugee comes, steps into Canada and says, I am a refugee. And when they're in Canada, we determine whether they actually meet the international refugee definition. So we do that process in Canada. With resettlement, what happens is a refugee flees their home country. They get to a secondary country where they have some level of protection, but no permanent durable solution. And from that secondary country, Canada sometimes voluntarily elects to bring some of those refugees to Canada by way of resettlement, either supported by the government program of resettlement or through private sponsorship. Okay. And now the keys- oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay. No, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, now, we have resettled a number of refugees over the years, hundreds of thousands of refugees over the years, correct? That's correct, yes. Um, but those refugees, in terms of the global population of refugees, that's just really a small drop in the bucket of the number of refugees globally that need protection. Dr. Labman, how is Canada doing in that respect? So... On both respects, Canada is actually doing a great job. Our resettlement program, particularly our private sponsorship program, is well regarded around the world. It's really a great way of bringing more refugees to Canada for protection. Uh, it's meant to be a complementary program, a means of bringing additional refugees to Canada, recognizing that Canada's far away from most refugee flows, uh, surrounded by cold oceans, and not really an easy place for most refugees to access on their own. So resettlement is this great program that Canada has been doing for 40 years plus in terms of bringing people to Canada for protection. But our international legal obligation 
is that refugees who come and say they are a refugee in our country will not be sent away. And that's where we've been doing a great job. We have a great immigration and refugee board. We have a great process for determining those people who make the claims, whether they meet the refugee definition or not. That program is a great gold standard program. The challenge is that right now in the budget bill, we are limiting access to who can actually have a chance to give their claim, to make their claim for refugee status in Canada. And is this a new thing? Yes, it's a very new thing. It's a shockingly surprising thing from this government. So basically what we've had all along are certain ineligibility provisions. So certain reasons why someone might not be able to make a refugee claim in Canada. And some of those reasons are that they've um, already made a refugee claim and been rejected for it, or they have already been accepted for a ref- by as a refugee somewhere else, or more significantly, if they're inadmissible to make a refugee claim because of security concerns, violating human, um, human rights or international rights, serious criminality, and so forth. So those are all reasons that people can't already make a refugee claim in Canada. What the budget bill is saying is they're adding a new category of ineligibility to make a refugee claim. Basically, if you have made a refugee claim in another country that Canada has an information sharing agreement with, and so that's the United States, Australia, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom. Okay. So not if you've been accepted as a refugee in any of those countries, but simply if you have already made a claim in one of those countries, regardless of the outcome of that claim, you cannot make a claim in Canada. We're talking with Dr. Shauna Labman, Assistant Professor in the Faculty of Law at the University of Manitoba. This is no doubt one of those things that that has you and your colleagues discussing things. Has anybody proposed a solution as to why this might be there? Why Canada might be looking to do this? Um, I think there's a lot of thoughts. We're coming up on an election, and there's been a lot of concern with irregular flows across the border because of the safe third country agreement with the United States already. And these new changes, while they apply to also Australia, New Zealand, and the UK, the reality is that most refugees will be affected by it because they've made a claim in the United States. Um, And I think the government was facing a lot of pressure to do something. The hope was really that they would suspend the safe third country agreement because it was creating this sort of... um, complicated routes to access and forcing people to make more dangerous journeys simply to achieve protection, their response has really been quite the opposite and really tightens the border control. Hmm. So does that mean that people will still be forced to do some dangerous things? Well, what it means really is that for individuals who are trying to cross at a port of entry from the United States, already the Safe Third Country Agreement says they will not come. Those people have therefore been sometimes trying to enter Canada irregularly because if they do so, they could make a claim. Now those individuals as well, if they've already previously made a claim in the United States, even if they enter Canada and bypass the safe third country agreement, they're still not going to be eligible to make a claim. So the argument from the government is that this is creating a safer, more protected border. The reality, though, is that people don't come to the decision to irregularly cross the border with only a few things on their back, um, take immense risks. We've had a death along the border making such a crossing here in Manitoba. We've had individuals lose their fingers and hands because of the frigid cold when they made their crossing. This is not an easy journey, but people are making it because they're desperate. 
and changing the law in Canada on what the realities on the Canadian side would be in terms of making a refugee claim are not going to change the reality of people crossing the border. Our border is 9,000 kilometers long. It's the largest international border in the world. Quite frankly, I don't think we can monitor every single kilometer of it, nor do I think we want to become the kind of nation that does so. And so people are still going to come. The reality is that I'm less sure that when they come, if they won't be eligible to make a refugee claim, they're not going to reveal themselves to the Canadian government because that protection won't be there. So in many ways, our border will be less secure because we will be having people entering without announcing their entrance. Gotcha. Okay. And that obviously leaves them as being here illegally as opposed to saying, okay, I, I came in here, I, I may have run across the border, but what can you do for me? If if someone were to do that particular thing, what what would be the options for the Canadian government if they say, no, you can't be here? Where, where would they send them back to? Well, I, there's a lot of complicated issues there. And I would sort of I never like the term illegal because there are so many different levels of legality at play when you're looking at refugees and inclusive claims. Uh, they would be here without any status. Okay. And that would really make them um, sort of operating under the radar of the government. Now, could this be a, a numbers game by the government where they want to say, hey, our border is more secure, we've reduced the number of refugees that we're bringing in? Could there be anything to that? I think they want to... The reality is our, the numbers have not really been increasing as of late. I think we've had 40,000 irregular crossers over the last two years. Um, there's a lot of rhetoric circling that we have a crisis at our border. Um, and frankly, much of it is really inaccurate, particularly when you look at the global refugee numbers. Um, so Canada's refugee flows even at their height, are entirely insignificant compared to the refugee flows elsewhere in the world or the numbers of refugees other um, states are hosting. So there's almost a million Syrian refugees in Lebanon. There's a, almost a million Rohingya in Bangladesh. The realities of Canada's refugee flows are minute. Hmm, interesting. We're talking with Dr. Shauna Labman, Assistant Professor of the Faculty of Law at the University of Manitoba. So, in conclusion, what do you think we should be watching for with regard to how the government is handling this? Well, I think we have to really call the government to account on what our international obligations are, what our constitutional obligations are. What these changes mean is that individuals who may be refugees who have not achieved protection are being denied um, access to a hearing, an oral hearing here in Canada to determine whether they're a refugee. And in 1985, the Supreme Court of Canada said all refugees are entitled to an oral hearing here in Canada. And we actually celebrated that decision on April 4th, just a few days before the government uh, brought in this legislative proposals. So I think that's really problematic. We're also doing this at the same time we're celebrating 40 years of the private sponsorship program. So on one hand, the government is saying we support refugees. And on the other hand, the government's closing the door, um, acting against a ruling by the Supreme Court of Canada already from 1985, saying there's an entitlement to an oral hearing and saying some refugees are not going to get that chance to be heard. Interesting. Well, thank you for bringing this issue to light. Thank you for explaining it so that we all have a better understanding of it. Dr. Labman, have a great day. You as well. Take care, Mike. Take care. Dr. Shauna Labman. 
from the University of Manitoba. She is with the Faculty of Law, where she is an assistant professor and has been focused in on this quite a bit of late. So in that 392-page document put out by the Trudeau government in the omnibus budget bill tabled last week, this was part of it. And as she says, it could have some major repercussions. We'll take a quick break. We'll let you know what's still ahead on London Live in hour number two next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We ended London Live yesterday with questions about our landfill, with questions about recycling in this city, smells in this city. We don't like to end with questions and let them linger like odors in the South End. We don't want that to happen. So... After the 2 o'clock news, we'll get some answers. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. The London Nationals are in action tonight. Game number three in the Sutherland Cup Championship Series. We'll talk about that later on this hour. We're also going to do something that, to say it sounds really strange, okay? So, it's going to be said right now. Just, just hear me out on this one, Okay. We are going to find out what the London Library does this hour. Okay, see, it sounds it sounds strange, right? We're going to find out what the London Library does. What am I, new? What do you, what do you mean what the London Library does? What are you talking about? It's a library. No, 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 no. Not the fact that you can borrow books and things like that. I think we need to take stock of all the things that are actually available at the London Public Library. And here's why. We received kind of a a work email. You get a work email, so it was a bit of a group email. And it was somebody pointing out that you could use your London Public Library card to read publications online, whether they be newspapers, magazines, some of the ones that, that make it a little tough for you to read now. But some are accessible using... Your London Public Library card. Well, that's that's good. And then somebody said two words this morning that made us need to look into this on London Live. The words were studio time. Mm-hmm. Studio time. If you're looking for studio time, where should you look? I don't know. A studio? We're a radio station. We have we have studios here. Should somebody be looking for studio time? No, not necessarily. Those studios are always in use. I just walked by two of them. Red lights are on. When the red light is on, you don't go in. No, studio time. Look to the library. Are you kidding? I don't think so. And that's why we need to find out what the library does. Because underneath all of our noses, if you're a regular user, you'll have no problem. You'll know all about this. But if you're not... I think we need to take a second and kind of fill in the blank from where it went from you can borrow a book from the library, keep it for a period of time, bring it back on time, and it's free to, yeah, studio time, we got that. Where did this happen? How do, how do we connect the dots here? That's what we're going to be looking to do later on on London Live. I do want to make mention of something we were talking about yesterday on London Live before we talk about something else we were talking about yesterday. And that is spoilers. Remember we set some spoiler rules? Thank you for the rules. I had some great ideas. You know, don't post anything on social media for three days. I think Jude had said that. Somebody else said, make it a week. Uh, you can't 
talk publicly about a series or a season of a TV show that is available for binge watching until the next season comes out. So if you're a season behind, well, you risk a spoiler or you just have to run screaming from the room. So we set out a few things like that. This stuff is getting pretty serious. And here are two examples of just how serious they're getting. A woman in China had to be hospitalized when she cried so hard during Avengers Endgame that she started hyperventilating. And then that same woman came under great criticism when she talked about the outcome at the hospital. Okay. And then things got even worse for a, let me see here, uh, got even, I just want to make sure I have the right person who has has been assaulted or who, who did the assaulting. You had two co-workers and one was issued a citation by police after assaulting a co-worker. The co-worker had revealed a spoiler from Avengers Endgame and that had brought about the assault. I don't know what the assault was with. Uh, maybe it was just with you know a punch in the head. I have no idea. But this is what we're getting to. A woman crying uncontrollably, and then the people who are to look after her are kind of miffed that she gave away an ending, and then you've got assault. This That's... Can we sit down for a second and just... Okay, sit down. In for four. Out for four. One, two, three, four. That's what we need. We need to relax about all this stuff. Holy cow. Don't punch somebody if they spoil the end of a movie for you. Be angry with them. And first of all, what are they doing? You can be angry. Don't punch anybody. Let's go back to yesterday's show for a different reason. Yesterday, we were talking about the three-part series, which actually wraps up tonight on Global National. And if you haven't seen it, then please, it's been a great series. It's been very eye-opening. It's done by Global News Chief Investigative Reporter Carolyn Jarvis. She actually has been in and around this area for part of it. She was out west. And it's looking at recycling in Canada. And it's looking at the fact that recycling's a little bit broken, and it's not necessarily Canada's fault. It's not really anybody's fault. It is the fact that China has said, hey, hey, yeah, starting January 2018, you know how we've been the dumping ground for a lot of recyclable materials? That ends. We no longer wish to do this. And then you had other countries that stepped up and tried to say, well, we'll do it, but they haven't been able to. Because China really was the dumping ground of the earth. If you want to look at the Earth's trash basket, you can look at the oceans, I suppose, but you were looking at China. They were accepting an awful lot of stuff. Not necessarily trash, but certainly recyclables. Who knows what was happening to them there? Maybe some of them were being used in manufacturing. I don't know. I'm not there. But we we talked about that yesterday, and then we got into a bit of a discussion about this area. And not so much from a recycling standpoint, although we will be able to address that in just a couple of minutes. We got into a conversation about the landfill. And there were things suggested that I I didn't actually know the correct answers to. Like, do we allow other municipalities to make use of our landfill? The idea was presented that, yeah, that there's at least one that's doing it. So why are we doing that if we are doing it at all? So we're going to ask that question. Incineration was brought up. Is that something that 
would be useful for this area? How long does our landfill have? Other questions. And then smells in the south end of the city. So, joining us next will be Jay Stanford, the Director of Environmental Programs and Solid Waste for the City of London. And he is going to address all of those questions and more, because that's the kind of guy Jay Stanford is. So, answers coming in just seconds. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We love to answer unanswered questions on London Live. By the way, if you ever have an unanswered question, if there's something you're scratching your head about and Google can't seem to really organize it for you, you've asked Alexa, and Alexa just spit out something that was completely unrelated, then email us, mike at 980cfpl.ca. We'll dig into it and we'll see what we can find out. Yesterday we had enough unanswered questions that we had to do something about it with regard to landfill, recycling, and odors in the south end of the city. So joining us right now is somebody that, believe it or not, can handle all three of those topics. I always love that. All right, can, can we find one person who can handle, handle odors in the south end of the city, recycling, and landfill? Yes, yes we can. It is Jay Stanford. He is the Director of Environmental Programs and Solid Waste for the City of London. Jay, how are things on this Wednesday? Hey, Mike, they're just excellent. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, thanks for being here because we had some questions that came up at the end of London Live yesterday, and now we're able to address those today. And why don't we begin first off, I guess, with the recycling element of this, because that's what got us into the conversation yesterday. We were talking about the three-part series that's being done on Global National, which looks at all of the recycling that goes into our blue boxes and then looks at the facilities that deal with it and the challenge some of those facilities are having in order to sell that product now that China has said, hey, you know what, we don't want the world's garbage anymore. What can you tell us about what happens with London's recycling? Well, Mike, it it currently is great news. It's great news because we are having similar challenges, but all our materials are getting to the marketplace. And that's essential because I keep hearing these rumors from people there that London is landfilling materials that should be recycled and all that. That is not the case. We do know other municipalities have had challenges. But here in London, our company called uh, Miller Waste Systems, that's our contractor, is finding good homes for all the materials. What's important to note is that at one point they were paying a whole lot more money But, you know, based on the global economy and the tightening of end markets, uh, we're suffering on the revenue side, but all materials continue to move. We are shipping some of our materials as far away, though, as India, because China, the doors have tightened up completely, as you just referred to. But India has proven to be a reasonable marketplace right now. But, Mike, there's a lot of work being done on improving things in North America. These materials should be handled as close to the source as possible. And we're pleased plastic products here in London are handled all in Ontario, as well as a few other materials. Are we getting to a point, Jay, where we have to start saying, okay, how much plastic are we actually purchasing, accumulating? Can we cut down from a standpoint in that way so that we're not even putting as much stuff in the blue box, not because we're not recycling it, just because we're not accepting it into our homes? Well, I think that's always a good place to start, though, right? Because... uh, Reduction, reuse are your high priorities. Last week we were talking about refuse items if you can. Only take something if you need it. And if you need it, make sure it's an item that's going to go in your recycling bin. What's key, though, and we have messaged this many times over, sort it right. 
You've got it in London, sorted into the two streams, paper and containers. Don't wish cycle. I wish I could recycle this, therefore I'll put it in the blue box. We don't want that. We don't want errors coming in. It's so important now to have a high level of quality of the material coming in the door because that way we can stay in the marketplace and get the best possible revenues. We're talking with Jay Stanford from the City of London, talking recycling to begin with. And then let's get to some questions that popped up yesterday. And and some of them dealt with the landfill that we presently use. And we know that there is a finite amount of time that that landfill will be operational. The question came up, are we allowing other municipalities or other places to put any trash into our landfill? Or is that kind of London exclusive? It is London exclusive with one minor exception. Our neighbor to the East Thames Centre, uh, council made an arrangement with them several years ago to help them out during the winter months when their small landfill site, uh, it just didn't make sense, make sense to operate in the winter. So a small number of tons, I think maybe 300 tons in total, Mike, very small, does come to our landfill site. Other than that, it is for London only. Okay. And let's talk lifespan. Where do we sit in terms of our landfill and its lifespan? Well, we have about four to five years of capacity left. And about two years ago now, we said, okay, we've got to get started on finding new capacity. And that new capacity uh, is part of our what's referred to as our environmental assessment for a landfill expansion. So we're two years into that process because our goal is to have additional capacity approved by the provincial government just in time that we're at the point where we need new space. So timing-wise, we're looking really good right now. Our processes, and they've been very, very public, a lot of people engaged in our processes here, not only at the landfill site in the expansion, but also on pushing us hard to divert more materials from landfill. All those processes have been very public and uh, very well received to date. We've had great feedback from Londoners. Uh, We've incorporated that, and we're just waiting now to hear from the province for the next phase of our environmental assessment. We're talking with Jay Stanford, the Director of Environmental Programs and Solid Waste at the City of London on London Live, looking at waste, looking at recycling. So what are the challenges and the things that need to be done between now and the end of that four- to five-year period to ensure that we don't run into those old problems that Toronto had where we're trucking stuff around looking for homes? Well, I think the good news, and you and I have talked about this, within about two years, the Green Bin program will be here in London. We're targeting uh, fall of 2021, so that'll be a great opportunity to keep materials out of the landfill site. And in particular, Mike, materials such as food waste that actually sometimes contribute to an odor problem at the landfill site. So that is, of course, one of our challenges that we recognize. Uh, When you run an integrated waste management system, you have to look at all aspects and you have to invest to make sure all they're running as best as possible. So that's all part of our current and longer plans. Make sure those things are are running as as good as they can. Okay. Incineration was brought up on the show yesterday. Is that even something that you can do in Canada? I know it's done a lot in the U.S. Well, it it, it is in some places, but there's only been two, and and they're no longer called incinerators. They're called now energy from waste plants because energy is recovered from them. There's only been two of these facilities approved in North America in the last, I think it's maybe even 10 years. One of them was in the region of Durham, which is just to the east of the city of Toronto, uh, and that's a very modern facility. It's a very well-run facility. It is also a very expensive facility. 
Uh, so in places where they don't have a lot of land, uh, energy from waste, or EFW as they call it, might make sense. In London's case here, uh, where we do have more space available and an existing landfill site uh, that uh, makes sense to expand for many reasons, uh, it, it, it would just be so much more expensive if energy from waste was looked at. Even with the benefits of recovering energy, it would still be about two to three times, if not four times more expensive than our current processes. Okay. Jay Stanford joining us from the City of London. Jay, one last thing, and that was, of course, we had concerns about odors in the south end of the city because of things like plants and concerns that those odors are still there uh, and and they don't know how to, to make them go away. What can you tell us about the odors in the south end of the city? Well, they exist from time to time, no doubt about it. And Mike, my, my number one priority and council's priority is odors from our facilities, so the W12A landfill site. So we have a whole program in place to make sure that they are minimized as much as possible. There are times of the year where we have our challenges. Now, regarding the other facilities in the south end of London, we're not the regulator of those facilities. Uh, we rely on the provincial government, and I'm not trying to push off, but that is how the compliance and the enforcement system is in place. In fact, the, the, the province is a regulator of our landfill site, so we have to make sure we're in compliance with their rules and regulations. So there are challenges still in the south end, but I've also seen a lot of positive activity from all companies in that area too. So um, I'm not probably the best one to, to, to get a status report on that, Mike, but I can tell you that we work hard to reduce the odors at our W12A landfill site. Okay. Well, Jay, thank you for handling all of these questions. Uh, We've ticked off all the boxes, and I'm sure we'll be in touch in the near future. Hey, Mike, I'm so happy to be on to answer these questions from Londoners. So thank you for doing this for me. Thanks, Jay. Okay, have a great day. You too. Jay Stanford, Director of Environmental Programs and Solid Waste for the City of London. So that helps to clear things up, I hope, a little bit. We're not accepting Toronto's garbage. We are only select or accepting one other tiny municipality's trash. And as much as the landfill does have a lifespan on it, there is room for expansion. And then it, it just comes down to diversion. How much diverting can we do? There are still municipalities in this province that allow six bags of garbage. Could you imagine? Sometimes students need that when they move out of their houses, and you can still go through some of the student neighborhoods now as they really start to move out. I mean, leases change hands as of today. You've got people moving in, and so people had to be out last night. So you go around, and yeah, you can see more than six bags because it's kind of like six opened bags, six bags that have been dumped on the ground. Oh, and here's a mattress and a freezer. So you see that around the city, but that's... That's just because we're a university and college town. But overall, we tend to manage things pretty well with regard to limits. There are still municipalities who say, yeah, try and get it down under six bags. Six bags. If you do look, and we had Bill mention Switzerland a while ago as a place to look to for things like health care. And you could look to Switzerland for a number of things. And... You know, we're going to hate if one day, if if you had to do this overnight and you turned everything into, well, that's that's the Swiss way, that's Swiss, you would hate it. You have tickets handed out for people who are stepping outside the shaded area of a crosswalk 
So if you walk outside the crosswalk and you get caught by a police officer, you will be ticketed. You have parking spaces that are color-coded, and you have to park where your color code matches. And if you're not in the right place, you will be ticketed. You have to put your trash in a see-through bag. And if you try and hide a toaster or a paint can or something else in there, they will dig that open, put that back down, and take the rest of your acceptable trash away. But that's, that's progressive, believe it or not. I don't want to be ticketed by a place that's giving me something for jaywalking. I should be allowed to cross where I want. Okay, that's, yeah, that's fine. Have you ever driven down Hamilton Road at a busy time when somebody decides, yeah, I'm just going to cross here? It's not good. You know, that's, that's not good. That's, we live by rules, and our world runs best with those rules. So when it comes to garbage and recycling, expect more rules going forward. But it's rules for the better. We'll take a break. Still to come, the London Public Library. What's it allow us to do? If you're just joining us, I've been making fun of that question for a while. So I'll tell you why I've been making fun of it. And that's actually what we're going to do on the show. And we'll also check in with London Nationals head coach Pat Powers. It's London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Hey, did you see what is disappearing? Smart cars. They're not going to go poof and just be gone. But Mercedes-Benz, the maker of the smart line, has announced that at the end of the 2019 model year, is that different from the regular calendar? Do we not celebrate the start of the model year on New Year's Eve? What's the model year? Somebody help me out. 2019 model year, which I'm taking it as soon, uh, they will stop making them. They will not be sold. And they will withdraw completely from North America by 2020. So if you are the owner of a smart car, you don't have to worry because you can still have them serviced at Mercedes-Benz dealerships. So that's, that's not a problem. But they've decided that, no, people are not into compact cars. Isn't this something we were getting into? And then you you actually look at the statistics, truck sales off the charts. I mean, look at how many different, I guess, manufacturers have gone away from the sedan. Very few even make a sedan anymore. And now it's trucks and SUVs. And yet, when we look at what we're paying at the pumps... Uh, you would think that the smart car would be the way that everybody's going. Yeah, for a little while it got down to 99 cents. I think those days are gone forever. I don't know, but we've got to look away from, you know, gas-powered vehicles. That's what Mercedes-Benz has admitted that they're going to do. They are actually going to put their electric energy toward what they will have as their first mass-produced electric model of car. They'll call it the EQC. But smart car gone. And I see, I really thought we were headed in that direction, but then my kids started to drive and we had a really little vehicle that I really liked. But as soon as the kids started to drive, I started thinking, okay, um, I want to make sure that my kids are as safe as they can possibly be. And I'm looking at all these big gargantuan vehicles out there. If they happen to get into a collision as safe as these little vehicles are, they're still little. You can still drive over them with a bigger vehicle. That can happen. So we're getting bigger vehicles. 
and we went and got bigger vehicles. And that was the reasoning and behind it, that with a little vehicle in the world of big, big vehicles, it's just not as safe. Is that a bad opinion? I don't know. It's the one I went with. It's called parenting. Something comes up, you have to make a decision. Made a decision. Did a thing. Did it work out? Yeah, I think so. We really, really like what we're driving now. But do they have the same kind of gas mileage? Not totally different, but it's not like we saved on gas mileage. The smart car, no gas mileage. Thing was electric in many cases. Some, I guess, were gas-powered, right? Weren't spending a lot on gas for those. Now you're just not going to be able to find them at all at the end of the 2019 model year. Up next, the strangest question I think we have asked on this show. And I'm just going to come out with it again if you're just joining us. What does the London Public Library do? That's the question. Now hang on, because it's not as dumb as the question sounds. What does the London Public Library do? And you can't just say, well, they, they, uh, they offer books. You can borrow books from them. Okay, what else? I don't know. Books. They're a library. It's about the books. Not quite. And based on an email that we got in-house here among our 980 CFPL newsroom, and based on a conversation that happened this morning, uh, we got to get to something. Because the email outlined how you could use your London Public Library card and have access to publications and magazines that were made available online. Huh. And then somebody else used two other words today. Studio time. At the library? We've got to find this out. We'll do that next. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. It sounds like a really simple skill-testing question. What does the London Public Library do? But I think it's a whole lot more complex than that. So, joining us right now on London Live is somebody who can help us to understand exactly where the library has gone. If, at one point, you could go there to borrow books, and now you can actually use the word studio time. How do we connect the dots in between? Please welcome to London Live, Nancy Collister, Director of Customer Service and Branch Operation with the London Public Library. Nancy, how are things at the London Public Library? Things are fantastic at the London Public Library. It's the best place to come and uh, work, and it's the best place to come and learn and play and visit. Okay, you've outlined a lot of things, and that's kind of where this extended from, the fact that there are probably more things happening there than we realize. We got an email that was circulated in our newsroom saying, hey, did you realize you could read publications online? And then somebody else brought up something else, and we thought, wait a minute, we got to check up on this. So let's, let's go right back to basics. We can still obtain a library card and check out books just like we used to as kids, right? You bet. Okay, and just like a lot of people do as adults, that can still happen. Yes, exactly. Books are still very popular. Uh, They haven't gone the way of the dodo. (laughs) Just with any online resources, they're still very popular with our public. Let's talk then audiobooks, because they were introduced many, many years ago, but at the same time, they seem to have picked up in popularity as people walk around, drive around, being able to download a book and, and listen to that. How do audiobooks work at the London Public Library? Um, they're just um, 
they're, they're online, so they're easier for people to access through their devices, so they're more portable. Um, but they're just a step up and replacement back from the days when, if people remember, when you used to be able to get cassettes and stick them in your Walkman and walk through the park listening, and then you got to go to a CD player. So audio books are just another step up, but they're, um, they broaden, uh, they're just much more easily attainable and can serve to a broader need. Um, for for the public than what the uh, the audio cassette could be because you'd only could check out the audio cassette you know and somebody would have it but now it's a much more broader uh, ability to get the audio uh, materials. Now, if you think of a physical book, if you've got a very popular book, you're going to have a couple of copies of that. How do audio books work? Is it like having a copy of a book? Uh, yes, exactly, and that exactly that that and uh, very easy to to get and uh, listen to and um, we've got um, the fantastic Libby app for our overdrive uh, materials and very easy to user friendly so it's uh, people can use that so it lets people stay connected to their library use the library resources um, without having to you know physically come into the library so we can connect with our our members and our audiences through you know different uh, formats and and ways so it, it just makes us highly more desirable to our community absolutely now you mentioned overdrive what is overdrive uh, it is our audiobooks. Um, Overdrive is where you can borrow. Um, that's where you would go and get if you wanted to hear John Gershom's new book on in audio. That's where our, our library would be. Is uh, called the Overdrive, and that's where uh, a lot of library systems subscribe to that. And so our 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 community, our members have access to those to to the John Gershom uh, novel through the audiobooks. Okay, Nancy Collister joining us, Director of Customer Service and Branch Operation at the London Public Library. Now we're going to go into a, a couple of other areas. Uh, tell us about online publications. How does that work through the library to be able to access something that is an online publication? Uh, a lot of it, uh, we have apps. Um, so it, you can on, you get access the online publications through various apps. So we have the Press Reader app. Um, we've got Magazine on Flipster. Um, so there's many ways to access. If you go on our website, it will tell you all the ways you can access um, all our e-resources, and they're very straightforward uh, how to get the app from the App Store or our fantastic staff, information staff through our telephone system will walk you right through it. So you could get and access they, just like you could come in and read magazines and newspapers at the library. You could go online and access those publications with a library card. Yes, with your library card, yeah, and Press Reader, which thing gives you a wider range of of, of um, magazines and newspapers and what we even would have in print and that, and current and that, so very current information. The other thing that you can do is take out laptops. In other words, check out a laptop. How's that program been going? Uh, well, the uh, we actually have moved to um, Wi-Fi hotspots. They're the one that's what's in demand, and not the laptop. So we've moved our resources into uh, Wi-Fi hotspots, and uh, we had a really successful um, donor campaign that uh, con- allowed us to buy twenty new hotspots, and that. Um, is broadening the digital literacy of our community in that because people can borrow that. It's a very robust hotspot. It's 
anybody's their family's devices can hook up to it. So therefore, kids, uh, many of the kids in, in um, elementary school homework assignments are on are, are online. So this allows the kids to access that, their parents to see what's going on at the schools, and then of course your recreational and entertainment needs can be made because you're going to use our movies on Canopy or Hoopla to watch and. Uh, so the hotspots are, are really are, are the resources way more than the laptops are. So, uh, so we, we did our little pilot project, and we reviewed both of them, and we're going to the hotspots. Okay. And when someone checks out a hotspot, how long can you check that out for? They can have it for three weeks. Three weeks? Yeah, get a three-week loan period for it, yep. That's tremendous. Okay, well then, there's just another one of those things. We're talking about all those things at the London Public Library that you might not realize are there for you to access with a library card. And you don't even have to come in to get your library card, do you? You you can just access that online. Yep, you can create a, an, an e-library card that uh, allows you to access all the digital resources online uh, through through the card, and you don't even have to come in and get a physical card to do that. We're talking with Nancy Collister, Director of Customer Service and Branch Operation. Okay, unless you are unearthing other hidden gems, and you may be, there's one other thing that we've heard about that I have to ask you about that I'm I'm still unsure whether or not this is going to be a thing, but Nancy, studio time at the library, is that a thing? You bet you it is. It's in the what we call the labs on the second floor of the central library. It was part of our revitalization project of uh of the central library and we've created space where they're in the labs and there's um there's a recording studio uh, where we've had fantastic musicians, DJs coming in. Um it's getting great use by our community and um and if you follow Ellen on uh, at the library and Ellen on Twitter, you'll see we've had great postings about people who have used our recording studio and the changes and the impact it's made in their life being able to have access to that kind of equipment. And that's what the library is all about, making changes and uh, being impactful in our community's lives. So how does that work then in order to book studio time? You can call into our um, our information line, Telefax service, and uh, they'll book the studio for you. Fantastic. Nancy, thank you for outlining all of this stuff. I think you've unearthed a whole lot of gems here that have been there all along, but now, now we can come find them. We are a happening place, and people need to come and check us out. Nancy, <laughs> you have a great day. <laughs> you too, Mike. Nancy Collister, Director of Customer Service and Branch Operation with the London Public Library. How many of those did you know were already there? The Wi-Fi hotspotter, yeah, we talked about that a while ago. I didn't know it was for three weeks. That's wild. We'll close out the show talking with Pat Powers, the head coach of the London Nationals. They play Game 3 of the Sutherland Cup Championship Series tonight in London. Pat's next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. little something coming up on 980 CFPL, and that is Ontario looking at raising speed limits across the 400 series highways. You can go to 980cfpl.ca or globalnews.ca right now and find out more about that. What do you think? Would that make a difference? Wouldn't that just make people drive 140? Drive 130 on the 400 series now. 
Ah, I'll take a risk. I won't be 50 over, so I'll drive 150. What's the thinking behind that? Well, we'll talk more about it. Maybe even tomorrow on London Live. Right now, let's close out the show with London Nationals head coach Pat Powers. The Nationals are home to Waterloo tonight in Game 3 of the Sutherland Cup Championship Series. The Nationals are down two games to none. Pat, thanks for joining us. How are things? All set? Absolutely. I mean, I got a lot of faith in the guys. They're... uh... Uh, they feel they've deserved better throughout the series, and, and I definitely think we'll see our best tonight. Let's go back over the first two games. The first one looked absolutely wild. You had, what, 13 goals scored in total. Is that anything that can be explained, or do you just kind of look at that game and say, yeah, that one's done, we'll move on? Well, I, I think offensively we, we did well. We generated 41 shots. We we had four goals, and and I just think the defensive side of our game uh, wasn't where it needed to be, and, and maybe Waterloo kind of caught us a little off guard. And, and uh, I mean that's going to happen. So um, I, I thought our, our our game two effort was uh, was much better. And, and like I said, I, I thought we deserved better, but we didn't get it. So it just means we got to try a little harder. What do you tell the guys when you know you deserve better? When you know you've played well enough to get more than you've had? And what do you tell them in order to kind of keep them saying, "Yeah, we can still do this"? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I asked them after the uh, after the game before practice yesterday. Uh, uh, some of the thoughts were on the game, and 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 they thought they deserved better. They knew it. Um, they they know they know they kind of let one slip away, but they knew they put the effort in that uh, uh, that was worthy of a win. And and, and like I said, we just got to kind of tidy up a couple things uh, defensively, and and uh, just keep plugging away. And, and and the guys are still hungry. They they definitely have not given up. There's lots of series to go. Head coach of the London Nationals, Pat Powers, joining us. When you go on a run this long, I mean, you look at playoff hockey, there are going to be bumps and bruises. How do you keep your health in check? How do you balance that? Well, you just got to give guys days off. Um, I mean, you got to feed them accordingly. You just got to kind of make sure the guys are taking care of themselves uh, away from the rink. I mean, we definitely can't uh, prevent injuries and, and so forth and so on, as we saw with, uh, with Isaiah Payne there. Um, I mean, you can't help those things. You just got to... Uh, make sure you're you're giving guys, uh, like I said, ample time off, and, and making sure that uh, you're setting them up for for success as much as you can. Is Waterloo similar to any other team that you've played so far in the playoffs? Uh, I, I would say Waterloo skates uh, skates very similar to LaSalle. Um, um, I mean, LaSalle was a very up tempo team. Uh, definitely uh, kind of pushed us defensively. Uh, I just think that uh, what Waterloo presents offensively in terms of uh, the depth they have in their in their in their scoring attack uh, is not something that we have seen this year. Um, I, I think uh, 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 Chatham was was quite a seasoned team as well too. But but just the speed uh, that Waterloo plays at, uh, like I said, is just something that we we haven't really uh, come across this year in terms of just speed and 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 scoring ability. Game three tonight at the Sports Center at Western Fair District. Puck drops at seven. Pat, good luck. Go get it. Thank you very much. Pat Powers, head coach of the London Nationals. Nationals and Waterloo Nationals are down two games to none. Again, 7 o'clock start coming up tonight at the Sports Centre at Western Fair. We will be talking about this. We have to talk about this tomorrow because you're going to hear more this afternoon. Ontario looking at raising speed limits across the 400 series highways. And I just want to close out the show with a quote from Transportation Minister Jeff Urich who is from London, Middlesex. We have ourselves a quote from him that says, the 400 series highways were built for, I believe, a speed limit of 120 kilometers an hour safely. You know what? I don't have a problem with that. But here's the problem that I do have. 
looking at how this is actually implemented. 120 kilometers an hour? Yeah, you can you can travel on the 400 series highways fairly safely at 120 kilometers an hour. Drivers don't drive the speed limit. You drive the speed limit plus, what, 19? That puts it up to 140 kilometers an hour. No, 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 no. This is not a good idea. We'll talk about it tomorrow on London Live. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks to Matt McInnes for all of his help. London Live brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. Jacqueline LaBelle is next with news. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.